Well, we are in the middle of our Christmas series here called What You've Always Wanted. Because Christmas is kind of a season of wanting stuff. Now, I don't think that's necessarily bad. I think it's really easy to get sucked up into that. But I don't think it's necessarily bad giving gifts and, and getting, receiving gifts. That's fun. That's part of what makes this family time really fun together um, is doing white elephant gifts and thinking about that stuff. Oh, man, I'd love a new coat or may, maybe something for the computer, um, anything like that. So th- this is kind of a season of wanting stuff. Um, But there's a problem with often the stuff we want. The problem is that a lot of that stuff fades. It gets old. It gets obsolete. It breaks. It doesn't fit anymore. And there are some other things that we want that every one of us want that I think can't get wrapped up in a box. Those things we want can't fit in a stocking. Because there are some deep things that we want. And I think one of, one of the miracles of the Christmas story is to hear this story of this baby Jesus. And wrapped up in this single baby is the fulfillment of all those things you've always wanted. So two weeks ago, we talked about this, this idea, this deep desire of all of us to be included. To be included. Um, and if you haven't heard that, if you haven't listened to that sermon, if you weren't here, uh, it's up online now. You, you can hit it up on Facebook or go to our Vimeo page. Um, I encourage you to, to listen to that. It was one of the, one of the, the toughest texts I've preached, but it was also one of the most personal sermons that I shared. And there was hardly a dry eye in the house, including mine. And um, So it was a great message if you haven't listened to that one. But that's a deep desire I believe that all of us have, is to be included. Okay, so this week... I want to talk about another deep desire, something that we've always wanted, and it's to have a family, to have a family. And now some of you might be like, okay, I don't know, like, I, don't, I barely like my family, <laughs> okay, why would I even want another one, okay? But I think deep down, we all have this longing for a loving family. And, and if you're not quite convinced of that, ask anyone whose parents were a little less than loving growing up. Ask any couple who's trying to get pregnant. Ask any person whose parents left them or whose parents passed away when they were young. There's some pain there. I think for all of us, we all carry kind of what I'm calling family pain. And I think the reason we're carrying that family pain and the reason that pain is so deep is that because we all want a a family. It's something we've always wanted. And what's amazing about the Christmas story is that Jesus actually provides this picture of family. Right there in this Jesus story. Because did you know that there was some family pain in the Christmas story? It wasn't all shepherds and miracles and gold and frankincense and myrrh. Whatever the heck myrrh is. I don't think any of us know what myrrh is. Okay? But it wasn't all of that. There was some family pain in there. And, and I think that, that this, this piece of family pain hurts. It's deep. And I know that because I was there for a number of years. Um, for, those, for those, many of you probably know, my wife and I, we can't have kids. Um, to be more specific, I can't have kids. Um, 
We didn't know that right away, though. <laughs> that, took, that, was, that was a pretty long journey for us. We got married, and we didn't want kids right away. We wanted to be able to have some time to ourselves. And, and then a few years into marriage, then we decided, okay, you know what? Let's, try, let's start having kids. Um, so we went off the birth control, and, and then all of a sudden, and then month after month after month after month passed. No pregnancy. So we, we, we started to be like, okay, you know what? We can be patient about this. Let's keep trying and keep trying and keep trying. And that just kept going. No pregnancy. And so then, then we started, a, as you do when you read the books and read the articles and stuff, if you're trying to get pregnant, then you start measuring stuff and making calendars and schedules and so and for any of you married couples who had to do a little work to get pregnant you know exactly what I'm talking about and all of a sudden something that is usually really really fun (laughs) becomes much less fun (laughs) because it's on schedules and deadlines (laughs) and performance metrics and all of that (laughs) and all of a sudden this thing that was a great part of our relationship all of a sudden became really stressful. And so then, so, so that continued. But we were like, you know what? This is what the books say you need to do to make sure you get on the right, you get, the, get this in line with that and all of that. And um, So then, then we started to think about, it. you know what? Maybe it's time that we see some doctors. So we saw some doctors. We got tests, and we did some hormone therapy, and, and we, did, we did shots, and this and that, and no pregnancy. Um, so then, this whole time, of course, we've been married for a few years, so every auntie who's even connected to us is coming up to us asking us, like, when are you going to have kids? And then we explain it. So then, of course, every auntie and every grandma has the remedy. Okay, married couples, you know what I'm talking about. They'll come to you with a little bag that look, just looks like little twigs. Okay, and, and then they'll give you instructions. Okay, then you have to boil this, and then but you can't boil it. She has to boil it, and then you drink it as a tea. And all of these little bags of sticks, when you boil them into a tea, it just tastes like water filled with sticks. <laughs> it's not tea. Um, and I, and I love the requirements that were a part of this. Okay, okay, no, you, you can't, she has to be the one to boil it and then pour it and then bring it to you, or you have to be, and then you have to stand in your right hand, hand and, and stand in your head and then put this and boil it, and <laughs> be like, really? <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah, if you do that, you'll get pregnant. Well, we ended up with a whole drawer full of bags of sticks. Um, thank goodness no DEA agent ever came into our house, because <laughs> that looked like some serious contraband in that drawer right there. So, so we tried some of the American doctors. That didn't really work. We tried some of the Hmong remedies. That didn't really work. And after a while, I started to get angry. I started to get resentful. Because all of my friends, all of the friends around us, they were all getting pregnant. I mean, heck, some of them were popping out kids one after another. We would joke like, like w- that we would have a, a one particular couple who they could just look at each other across the room and she got pregnant. <laughs> I was like, what? How does that work? Because <laughs> we were doing everything we could to get pregnant. And none of it worked. And I started to get really angry at God. Because you know what? I'm a good husband. I'm a good provider. I've done the things you're supposed to do. 
and there are no kids. Where's your end of the bargain, God? I'm keeping up my end. What about you? And then I started to get angry with my friends who were popping up. It's one thing to have friends who have one round of kids. But then when they start having a second round of kids <laughs> or a third round of kids and you're still at, like, still at start, <laughs> I started to get pretty angry at them also. It wasn't their fault. <laughs> but there were some I didn't even want to kind of be around anymore. And I started to get really angry. And, you know, and, and kind of getting filled with anger is a tough thing. It starts to consume you. And, and that's kind of where I was left for a little while. And it was painful. And the reason is, is family pain is big pain. Any pain related to your family is pretty big. And the reason is, because we all deep down long for that great family. And so I don't know what your family pain is, but my guess is you've got some. So whether growing up, you had parents that you thought were to, there to protect you, and instead they hurt you. Or growing up, you had parents who abandoned you, and you had to go live with the uncle or the grandma and the grandpa. Or maybe you're married and you've been trying to have kids and without any success. And you feel that pain. Or maybe you're single and you're longing to get married. You really want to get married because you see all these happy married couples on Facebook and you're sick of it. <laughs> and you really want to get married. So I don't know what your family pain is, but I bet you've got some family pain. And I think that pain comes from when our expectations don't match reality. My expectation was you get married, you get a good job, you get a house, and you get kids, or at least an apartment, <laughs> and you get kids. That's not how my reality turned out. And maybe your reality was that I'd have parents who would love and nurture me, parents who would be there, parents who would encourage me, but instead they criticize me. But when, we ha when our reality doesn't match up to what our expectations are, that hurts. And the reason it hurts so much, the reason family pain hurts so much, is that because deep down, we all long for that family. Whether it's your birth family or the family you shape when you get married, we long for that. And when it doesn't happen, it hurts. And that's kind of what happened in the Christmas story as well. Um, there was some family pain in the Christmas story. Expectations did not line up with reality. Um, now, that happened a little bit with Mary. Um, it, she, but she kind of dealt with this really well. And, and we hear a lot, especially in Luke, about how Mary dealt with this whole angel coming to her. You're going to give birth to the Savior of the world. And be like, whoa, okay. Um, and Jesus... Nah, he was just a baby. He wasn't really feeling family pain. Um, but Joseph. There's a guy who felt some family pain. Right? And in this series, we're going through the first couple chapters of Matthew. And there's this amazing paragraph 
at the end of chapter 1, or it's a few paragraphs about Joseph. And so we're going to talk a little bit about Joseph today. But let me give you a sense of what Joseph's expectations were. So so here here he was. He was probably 18 to 20, something like that. Um, and he was living in his little town, doing, doing his thing, his carpenter thing. And, and then he, he, he either meets this little cutie named Mary or his parents meet this, this nice girl from a good family and say, you'd be good for my son. But, all of, but either one of those, because arranged marriages happened, they were somewhat frequent, but also sometimes they, they paired up. So I, I like to think that Joseph kind of met up with a little cutie named Mary, and, and they started dating, I don't know, maybe they met up on Tinder or whatever, I don't know. Um, but but they, they got together and decided to get engaged, or, uh, or if you're an old King James guy, betrothed, um, or pledged. That's how the NIV translates, pledged to be married. Okay, that's, that's kind of the equivalent of our engagement. But it's pretty different, okay? Because remember, here's what Joseph had in mind, okay? You get engaged, okay? And at that point, the guy and the girl actually are called husband and wife at that point. But they don't live together. And they definitely don't have sex together, okay? They're called husband and wives. The parents actually come together to negotiate. Any of this sounding familiar? Okay? But this happens actually at the engagement, not the the Hmong marriage, okay? So this happens at the engagement. The families come together. They negotiate a bride price. They negotiate some terms of the contract. And then, and then they wait. They wait up to about a year. It can be 10, 12 months or so. Meanwhile, in that 10, 12 months, Joseph is out building a house. Literally. He is actually literally building a house <laughs> for his new family, for his new bri- soon-to-be bride. And meanwhile, Mary is just staying there, hopefully not showing. That's actually why they waited about a year, to make sure she wasn't pregnant. To make sure that she had held kind of her virginity, her purity, according to Old Testament law. And and that either that Joseph, they didn't hook up, or she didn't hook up with somebody else. And so Joseph would be here building his house, then maybe 10, maybe 11 months later, he would come back. He'd actually bring an entourage. Again, any of this sounding familiar? He'd actually bring an entourage to her house. They'd do some more ceremony stuff. And then she would go to this new house that Joseph built. That's what Joseph had in mind. That is what his expectation of this nuptials was going to be. And if you're at all familiar with the Christmas story, then you know <laughs> that is not how it turned out. That is not how it turned out, okay? So we're going to read this passage, but before I do, I, a few of the key phrases to keep in mind, okay? You're going to hear this phrase, pledge to be married, okay? Think engaged. But it's more serious than our engagement. It was actually a pledged contract, okay? Bride price was already given, <laughs> so no backing out. They were called husband and wife. That's why in this passage, before they actually got married, Mary is referred to as wife. And Joseph is referred to husband, because that was, that was the practice then. But they didn't live together, and they certainly didn't have sex together. And then there was going to be a time, 10 to 12 months later, where they would come together and actually be married, move in together, and then, uh, and then consummate the marriage, which is a big fancy word than for saying have sex together. Okay, So that's, that's what Joseph was expecting. Now let's hear a little bit about what actually happened. 
Okay? So this is out of Matthew. If you were here a couple weeks ago, then you heard about th- this big, long genealogy that Matthew began with. Okay? And it, it sends this big message that, that God includes what life excludes. Because there was a whole bunch of people included in that genealogy that normally would get, get excluded in genealogies. Okay? So this, this verse starts directly after that. Okay? And so it starts with it's chapter 1. Verses 18 to 25. So here it is. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary, which was pledged, there's that word, so engaged, was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, that's before that 10-month to one-year mark, before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Can you imagine this conversation Joseph's sitting there. He, he's working on his house. Mary comes up and be like, um, okay, so I got something. Um, I'm pregnant. But no, no, it, it's through the Holy Spirit. Right. <laughs> okay. Really? No, 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 really. It's, it, it's, it's through the Holy Spirit. Uh, seriously? Okay. So, and that's what Joseph faced. All of a sudden, he, f- he was facing the reality that this woman that he w- either loved or was growing to love was pregnant, and it wasn't his. Now, I've never actually known an engaged couple where she's gotten pregnant by somebody else, but I think I could guess that would not end well. <laughs> and that's kind of what happened here. All of a sudden, Joseph's world came crashing down on him. Came crashing down. Remember all of those, all of those expectations I talked about? Shattered. Having a good home, a good business, a good reputation? Shattered. Okay? Having family that loved them and supported them? Shattered. Because, like, I mean, in Hmong culture, you know, okay, if a dating couple, if she gets pregnant, they just quietly get married, and then they have, the baby comes about eight months into marriage. <laughs> but once baby comes, nobody re- even remembers anymore. That's not how it worked back in, in Jewish small towns. Right? This was something that would haunt their marriage for a long, long time. And so Joseph had a moment of deciding what to do. And what's amazing is, what according to Old Testament law, the punishment for adultery, which this would have been adultery. Like if you're engaged and you cheat on your fiancé, that's just cheating. But if you cheat on your spouse, that's adultery. And because they were considered spouses already, this was adultery. And as a result, the punishment was death by stoning. So that would have been the legal punishment for Mary for being pregnant and it not being Joseph's. So Joseph had a decision to make. Let's read about what he did. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law. So that's the she has to be put to death. And yet, did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. So that's something that could happen. They have to drop papers and officially divorce because this was an official binding contract. But he wanted to keep this on the DL. And I actually love this, this moment in Joseph's life, this decision. 
Because think of, of but being betrayed and all the anger, like the hellfire that you would want to unleash on somebody. He didn't. Out of the whole, incidentally, out of the whole Christmas story, Joseph's actually my favorite character. Because what he did in this moment is amazing. So he chose the most noble option possible in his mind, which was, okay, we can't go through with this, but we're going to keep it on the DL. We're, we're going to divorce, but I, I don't want to send you out into the public square and all that. That's going to be a mess. I want to keep your honor and my honor. We're going to do it quietly. So again, his expectations shattered. Think he had some family pain? Think he had some anger? I think he had some pretty good reason to be resentful toward Mary, toward God. But he chose not to act on, on all of that. So, let's continue. But after he had considered this, the quiet divorce, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what's conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you'll give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. So the angel comes up to, to um, Joseph and says, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid, because this situation is bigger then you know. This baby Jesus, who is actually just baby um, in, in Mary's tummy right now, this baby is bigger than you realize. And he says, don't be afraid. The angel says, don't be afraid. This baby Jesus, that you're going to name Jesus. Okay, And even right then, something should jump out, at least it did to the original Jewish audience. Only fathers named their children. Only fathers named their children. Strangers didn't. So this angel said, you name him Jesus. And that name Jesus, that's the Greek word for the Hebrew word Joshua. For If you know a little Old Testament, there was a guy, a pretty important guy named Joshua. And that Hebrew word means the Lord saves. So the angel is saying here, name him Jesus, because he will save his people. He will save God's people from their sins. And his name literally is God saves. That's why he's named Jesus. And, and so, and that's the amazing thing, because because what, um, what the angel said is that this, this, what you think is sin is not going to define this relationship and it will not define this baby because this is bigger than you realize. And so if that wasn't enough, if that wasn't enough to just kind of blow Joseph's mind, the text continues. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And that is one of the great truths of Christmas. 
that this baby Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. So God was with Joseph in his family pain. God was with Joseph when his world came crashing down upon him. God was with Joseph when the reality did not meet his expectations. Through all of that, God was still Emmanuel, God with us. And God is with, was with him through all of that. And God is with you through all of your family pain. So let's continue, okay? Now, but before you get kind of too excited about the hope and the healing that comes out of something like that, okay, there's also some obedience that God called Joseph to. Here it is. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary as his wife. Okay, so remember, there was supposed to be a, a one-year break in between this. So we don't know when in this period it happened, but it didn't happen at the one-year mark. So Joseph made a decision to break from cultural convention and take Mary home to this home he was building as his wife. But they did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son. Again, that means they didn't have sex until after Jesus was born. And he gave him the name Jesus. And there was an amazing statement, because remember, fathers named their children. And it, through this act of obedience of Joseph's, Joseph was in essence adopting this son that did not come from him. Joseph was embracing, Joseph was, was taking and accepting this baby Jesus as his own. Okay, Now that's cool, I mean that's amazing when any parent adopts and embraces a child who isn't their own, but this was critical to the Christmas story. This was critical to the identity of Jesus. Because if you were here two weeks ago and, and you listened to me rattle off 42 generations of people with really weird names, if you were there, you might remember that that genealogy, it was Abraham, son of David. It, had, it, was, all, it was a whole bunch of really good stuff that was, was foretold, that was prophesied about Messiah. But it ended with, and so-and-so was related to Joseph. It did not say so-and-so was related to Mary. Which means, had Joseph not embraced and accepted and adopted Jesus as his own, Jesus would not have that kingly genealogy. Those prophecies of the Old Testament would not be true because Jesus was only connected through blood, through Mary's line. But Joseph named him. Joseph embraced him. Joseph adopted him and therefore connected him to those 42 generations of kings and priests and prophets and prophecies and fulfilled what the Old Testament talked about, about this Messiah. And that's what's amazing about this, this act of Joseph. And that's one of the reasons why he's one of my, fa he's actually my favorite character out of the Christmas story. 
was this act of unparalleled obedience that, honestly, I don't know if we could have pulled that off. Imagine the greatest betrayal you've ever experienced. Could you turn around, put all of that to the side, and say, God is Emmanuel, God is with me. I'll move forward in obedience. Or would you lash out? (laughs) Would you push away? Would you reject? Would you just try and get rid of it quietly? But Joseph didn't. He obeyed the Lord. And that promise of God as Emmanuel is one of the core messages of Christmas, that God is with us. And I believe it's the secret to us in our family pain is to remember that God is with us. God is with you. So God is with you in your family pain. God is with you, singles, in your loneliness. Married couples, God is with you in your infertility. Those with a past that you'd rather not share, God is with you in your past. Those of you who feel rejected by your family, God is with you in your rejection. God is with you in your pain. God is with you in your isolation. God is with you in your family pain. But often we want to keep our family pain to ourselves. Or we come to the conclusion that God isn't with us. And so with me and the whole pregnancy thing and not getting pregnant, I kind of teetered on this idea of how could God really love me? How could God really be good if this isn't happening, if we aren't getting pregnant and we've done all the right things? So I'm not convinced God is with me. But thankfully, an amazing thing happened. God in his faithfulness He didn't push me away like I was virgin on pushing him away. Because the more that we prayed, the more that we talked, the more that we tried to remember that God was with us and invite him into us, the more our minds, the, the more my heart started to change. I felt a little less angry at my friends, a little less jealous a little less resentful toward God. And all of a sudden, I began to kind of accept that maybe this is going to be our reality, not having kids. Um, It made it a little bit extra poignant in that my sister and uh, partner, they don't have kids either, so there aren't even nieces and nephews floating around my family. (laughs) Um, But I started to accept that maybe this was our reality. And maybe I could be okay with that. Um, But God didn't stop there. What started as accepting a reality also then began to shift to embracing a reality. And I began to actually embrace this idea of not having kids. I get to sleep in on Saturday mornings. (laughs) All right. (laughs) I could cook whatever I want for dinner. Um, So I started to embrace this idea, but God wasn't through with me yet. 
There was another place he wanted to take me. There was another place, there was a deeper sense of God with us, Emmanuel, that he wanted me to understand. And all of a sudden, acceptance turned to embracing, but then embracing even changed. And all of a sudden, I and we started to understand. We started to get a glimpse, kind of like the angel to Joseph, it would have been a whole lot easier if years prior an angel just showed up to me. <laughs> that would have been a whole lot easier. <laughs> but instead, no, God decided to go for the long game on this one. Okay? But I began to get a glimpse. I began to understand that this was actually God's will. And both Paul and I now, we believe without a doubt that not having children is God's unique will for us i don't believe it's god's will for everyone in fact i think generally speaking it's god's will that families have kids and he blesses them with kids in general but i also believe that he has some unique wills out there for some of you he certainly did for us and so all of a sudden that what, what started out as just a life situation a circumstance became what if this is god's will not just for something for me to accept, not just for something for me to embrace, but wholeheartedly relish and live. And I think that's what might have happened with Joseph after that dream and during that dream. I, I kind of wonder if he had a similar shift to understand what God's will in his family pain is. So for me, we, I started to understand, I started to get a glimpse that, that maybe this was God's will, God's unique will for us. And over the years, we've seen how blessed God's will, living in God's will can be. Uh, we've been able to be much more generous with our time, with our money, uh, with our house. I used to joke in my youth ministry days, I, I used to joke with the kids that I, I used to tell me, like, if we had kids of our own, y'all be a lot less important to me. Because it's true. But you know what? Because of this, this unique will that God, this unique path that God has for us, it's allowed us to do things we never could have or would have done. Not the least of which is sleeping in on Saturday mornings. <laughs> But it's amazing to be living in God's will in this and not just accept it, but live it. And I think that's what happens when we understand Emmanuel, God with us. I don't think Joseph just accepted this adopted kid. You get this sense because of his obedience that he understood this was God's will. It wasn't a mistake. This was his desire for, but this was God's desire for him. And so what do you do with your family pain? I think the first thing you need to understand is that in your pain, God is with you. In your pain, God is with you. Whether that's the pain of inf infidelity, infertility. Whether that's the pain of abuse or just neglect. Whether it's the pain that you caused your family or the pain that your family caused you. Whatever that pain you're carrying, the first thing you need to understand is Emmanuel. 
God is with you. Because when things start to really suck, one of the first things we do is believe God's not with us anymore. But that's not true. So that's the first thing you got to do is believe that God is with you. And then the second thing you got to do is obey. I don't know what you need to obey. But for me, in this whole pregnancy process, it was obeying this path that God had us on. So at a per- certain point with, our, with the doctors, when we were seeing all the doctors, we stopped seeing the doctors. There, were, there was more we could have done, but we chose out of obedience to stop at a certain point. Again, that's our journey. I don't believe that's everyone's journey, but that's, w- that's what God's path for us was. So what's God's path for you? Where are you? Are you at the stage where you need to say, I believe God is with me? Because with the pain that I'm carrying, I don't believe God was with me. Or I don't believe God is with me. Maybe you're here. Or maybe you're here saying, I believe God's with me. But I don't think I want to take that next step. I don't think I want to obey what God is saying. Maybe you don't like it. (laughs) It's okay to not like God's will. But just make sure to go to God with that instead of away from God. So whether you're here or whether you're here, the Christmas story has a great promise for you. God is with you. God is Emmanuel. And this baby Jesus will save you from your sins. Join me in prayer.